Now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Ray sits down with New York Times bestselling author, Tommy Spaulding, founder and president of Spaulding Companies. I don't believe you can truly love and serve other people until you truly love and serve yourself. Most leaders don't have self-confidence. When you don't have self-confidence, you can't put others first. You have to be a self-serving leader because you have to put your own needs first because you're insecure. The greatest servant leaders I know truly love themselves because they know who they are in Christ. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert, and I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. This is the program where we really focus on the intersection of faith, business, life, and leadership in the marketplace. We get an opportunity on a weekly basis to interview some of the most amazing Christ followers who are living out their faith on a daily basis in business and in leadership, and who are impacting the marketplace for Christ. And I am so honored to welcome our friend, Tommy Spaulding, to today's program. Let me tell you all just a little bit about Tommy. He is the founder and president of Tommy Spaulding Companies. He is a New York Times best-selling author. He speaks to companies and organizations Globally, we're going to learn about his passion and his heart for leadership development, not only with CEOs and business owners and executives, but a special passion and calling that God has placed on his heart in equipping today's youth who are tomorrow's leaders. Tommy is one of our nation's gems, a follower and lover of Jesus. Tommy, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. How do you follow that, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I love it. <laughs> well, Tommy, you and I had a chance to get acquainted a few months ago through a friend who introduced us, and I, I remember that conversation vividly, and I just remember hanging up the phone that day and saying, I can't wait to have Tommy on our program, because, Tommy, you really embody, you really are what we're trying to bring about in terms of a focus here at Bottom Line Faith. As I said, you love Jesus, you're living out your faith in the marketplace, but why don't you tell us just a little bit about your work at Tommy Spalding Companies, what you do, and what you're trying to accomplish there, and then we'll get into the rest of the story. You bet, you bet. Well, I uh, I grew up in upstate New York, and I really struggled in high school, Ray, um, with dyslexia. They didn't really know how to diagnose me back then, so they put me in that room called the resource room, really all through high school and you know, middle school. I barely graduated high school. I, mean, I literally graduated with a 2.0 GPA and watched my friends graduate you know, high school, magna cum laude and summa cum laude. And I graduated high school, thank God almighty cum laude, <laughs> graduated. And I wasn't going to be going to college because my grades were so bad. And then God just had this incredible plan and journey for me. This group called Up With People came to my high school, my my senior year of high school, right before I was going to graduate. And I'd never been on an airplane before. I never really traveled outside of New York where I was raised because we didn't have any money to travel internationally. So to have this international leadership group come to my high school, Suffern High School, and perform, it was really a life-changing day for me because I got to see 120 young people on stage from 20, 30 different countries and, you know, all walks of life. And the message just really hit my heart about serving others and changing the world. And so I went backstage after the show and I interviewed, and that was when my path kind of changed. And I 
chart a different course and joined up with people and kind of spent 20 years with that organization on and off from a 17-year-old dyslexic kid to becoming the president and CEO of the organization 25 years later. So it's been a pretty humbling journey. Well, that's incredible. I want to go back to that time in school. And I know we've come a long way with understanding learning disabilities and some of the challenges that you faced, but maybe some of it wasn't by name then or understanding. What do you remember about that season of your life, about what it was that people were saying about you or how you felt about yourself? Yeah. And, and how did your faith eventually help you work through that? Yeah. I mean, I'm 50 years old this year, and looking back at my life, I think of the one pain I mean, I've had many pains, but the one that's been constant my whole life was, I just don't want people to think I'm dumb. I just grew up not wanting people to think I was stupid because that's how I felt because the grades and my standardized tests, you know, you can't get a lower SAT score than I got. Mm. I got like a 640, and I think that's the bottom 90 percentile in the country. I mean, you you just can't get worse grades than I did. And I just felt like I wasn't smart enough and I really wasn't diagnosed until I was in college. But, you know, when we're young, you know, grades were, were everything. And, yeah. and it just really, really affected my self-confidence and my, self, my self-esteem. And it really defined a lot who I am today, for sure. At what point did your faith play a role in helping you work through that your identity was not in your GPA or your degree? Help us understand that aspect of your life just a bit. Yeah. I have an interesting faith journey. And um, I'd, I'd like to say right now, I'm I'm a really proud um, and loyal um, and humble Catholic. But it wasn't always that way. I was raised Catholic, altar boy, you know, church, the whole, the whole deal. Yeah. But I never really had a personal relationship with Jesus. I had a personal relationship with my priest. And I left the Catholic Church after I was in college. I left it for 15, 20 years. And I, I guess you can say I became a, reintroduced to the non-denominational Christian church. It became more of a, a Jesus follower and Christian you know, in the last 20 years. And then I hooked up with a guy named Matthew Kelly about five years ago, who's an author as well and a Catholic, and, and, and he guided me back to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of gone full circle. So I'm a Catholic, but I have a deep, deep personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm, I'm hoping to be part of a movement where more Catholics have a more relationship with Christ versus their, their priest. Yeah. I know it's kind of a long story, but it's a, kind of a beautiful one. <laughs> yeah, precisely. As you've communicated, your faith is deep and it's real, and we're going to dive into maybe some examples of how that helps you in leadership and in business. But I want to understand, Tommy, why is this issue of developing leaders so critical, and why is it so important to you? Yeah. You know, I work with high school kids, and I work with CEOs, the Fortune 500 companies, and a lot of people say, well, how do you, how do, you do that? I mean, I know, I know there's teachers and you know, people that work with high school kids, and then there's people that work with corporate people, but I've never met a thought leader that works with both. And how do they work together? And I say, well, if I do my job right with coaching and teaching high school kids what servant leadership is, then I wouldn't need to have a job teaching CEOs what servant leadership is about because (laughs) they would learn it in high school. But I'm just so passionate about teaching people that leadership is a choice and that if we choose to become a leader 
we're, we're going to have to choose to become either a servant leader or a self-serving leader. And that's really the biggest choice we make as a leader is which type we're going to be. Because there's only really only two types of leaders, a self-serving leader or a servant leader. And really, no one raises their hand and says, man, I want to be a self-serving leader. <laughs> but the truth is, I don't know, 80, 85% of the entire workforce, leadership, management, our entire country is probably a self-serving leader. And those numbers might even be skewed. It might even be 90%. I mean, it's really, really hard to be a servant leader. And that's why I just become so passionate about it. About 20 years ago, I just decided I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning this stuff, teaching this stuff yeah. to anyone that would listen, because I just think it's so critical. Well, there's a lot of talk these days about this term, servant leadership, and uh, I want to I dive into this with you, because our audience, by and large, these are faith-based leaders, they're running companies, running departments, running divisions, and I think inherently, inherently, they would think, I would think that, well, of course I'm a servant leader, I'm a faith-based person. But maybe not. And so would you mind taking a couple of moments here and just walking us through maybe a handful of bullet points or some of the differences, I mean, tangible, noticeable differences between a self-serving leader versus a servant leader? Sure. Well, when I wrote my book, The Heart-Led Leader, which is on servant leadership, I wrote down about 100 servant leaders in the world that I knew personally that ran either Fortune 500 companies or large organizations, leaders that really made a huge influence in the world, and then I felt they were servant leaders. And I, I called them all up, and I asked them if I would be able to interview them for the book. You know what they all said when I told them that I think that they are a servant leader, they're a heart-led leader, they're a humble leader, and I want to I interview them for the book? You know what every one of them said? Not 99% of them. 100% of them said the same thing. It's almost like they all had a conference call with each other and said, let's tell Tommy the same thing. <laughs> you know what they all said? You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong gal. Wow. I appreciate the compliment, Tommy, but I'm far from being a servant leader. I'm still working at it. Have you met Jimmy Blanchard? Only by name. He's on the board of Chick-fil-A and he's started Synovus, a multi-billion dollar bank. You meet Jimmy Blanchard, who's probably one of the greatest servant leaders in the world. That's Ken Blanchard's mentor. And Ken Blanchard is the, the guru of servant leadership. And you go, Jimmy, I'd like to write about you. You go, I got the wrong, you got the wrong guy. I, I'm unworthy to be written about. And so what I've learned about servant leadership is that, and, and heart-led leadership is if you think you're a heart-led leader, you're probably not. Hmm. Servant leadership Heartless leadership is a title that's given to you, not that, that you aspire to be and then name yourself as. It's given to you as a gift from your followers. But I think that servant leadership is really a choice, and we have to make that choice early on. It's really, really hard to lead with humility and vulnerability and authenticity and generosity at a constant level all the time. But what you do, it's, it's life-changing. But the problem with servant leadership, right, that servant leadership has gotten a bad rap, is when you talk about servant leadership in the workforce, corporate America wants ROI. They want results. That's right. And so if you look at all the books that are written about servant leadership in, in the world, none of them really tied bottom-line results. I mean, your podcast is called Bottom Line Faith. I mean, the bottom line is important for organizations. Yes, And so I wrote The Heartland Leader with a twist, as I connected what would Heartland Leader, what would 
servant leadership look like if it's connected to the bottom line? Mm. And so I basically researched organizations that had unprecedented results, unprecedented bottom line results. And the reason why is because they had that servant leadership. And it's just a fact that if you build a culture of servant leadership in your organizations, that you will have more bottom line results, period. You just have to have the faith of God that you can let go and build that kind of culture, which is really hard, really hard to do. It really is, and it's so, to your term, it's so counter-cultural, it's counterintuitive. So maybe one example that comes to mind of a servant leadership, either leader, principal, or company, and how you've seen it impact the bottom line. Can, can you? I'm sure you come up with many, but what's yeah. one that comes to mind as an example? Well, just, just your time. I mean, that's our most precious, valuable resource is our time. And most people, when they wake up in the morning, their day is really all about them. You know, they work out, take care of their body, they get a cup of coffee, they're whatever, they rejuvenate them, they read the paper to educate themselves, and they go to work to provide for their family. Your day can be so consumed about just serving yourself. And I think servant leaders wake up and they start their day with the Lord and they basically say, what can I do today to change the world, change my company, change my family, my community, and who do I need to serve? And they go throughout the day looking at people, not what can I get from them, but what can I, what can I do to help them and serve them? And just little bits of time, you know, phone calls to people. It's someone's birthday. Instead of sending a two-second text, you give them a call and leave a nice message. And it's just giving your, your time on a daily schedule to serve others is is really a great start. Yeah, I love that. As I'm listening to what you're sharing here, Tommy, I'm gosh, we've had some amazing conversations here. One of them that's at the top of my mind right now, Cheryl Botchelder, who is a former CEO at Popeye's Chicken. Now she's currently the CEO at uh, Pier One Imports. And I remember in my conversation with her, she said that she not only personally did this, but taught her leaders to spend a full 30% of their work week in one-on-one coaching servant leader meetings, meaning getting to know that person, like you're talking about, knowing when their birthday was, knowing what's going on in their family, because once they knew they were loved and cared for, they'd walk through fire for you as a leader. And it's yeah. not its not about what we're getting, to your point, it's what we're giving. Is that what you're talking about, is really that yeah. kind of intentional, yeah. just loving people well? Yeah, absolutely. And and what Cheryl did, I got to write about her in The Heartland Leader, no, no CEO has ever done that in the history of corporate America. I mean, she basically was running an S&P 500 company, Popeye's. That was flattering and failing. Yes, stock dropped like like fifty seven dollars a share to fifteen dollars a share. There was more lawsuits and no trust, no brand. I mean, it was just a dead brand. And she said, the only way we're going to turn around this company is we got to start investing in each other. And I'm going to start. I'm going to spend thirty three percent of my time blessing, serving, coaching, loving, lifting my direct reports. And all I ask is that you do that for your direct reports. And that went on for thousands of people throughout that organization. Yeah. And when you asked Cheryl, how did you grow your stock 400% in eight years? One of the greatest corporate turnarounds ever for a franchise restaurant. How did you do it? She said, I just invested in my people. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds so easy, Ray. Oh, it's easy to invest in your people. <laughs> to actually take the time every day to do that. 
That's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between being a self-serving leader and a servant leader. There's there's only 10% of people in the world that are servant leaders, that are true servant leaders, because it yeah. takes an enormous amount of time and strength to constantly lead that way. Yeah, and I, in that case, you know, you've got the fire-breathing public on you, you've got the media on you, you've got your board of directors, and, and they're all screaming for results, results, results. Yeah. But she played the long game and gave them results yeah. by loving people yeah. well. Tommy, I would be remiss if I went any further without asking you, what's the best way that our audience can learn about you, get in touch with you, contact you? What's the best way? Uh, my website is tommyspalding.com, and I have the, the U in my last name, S is in Sam, P is in Paul, A-U-L-D-I-N-G. So it's Tommy at TommySpalding.com. That's fantastic. Well, well, Tommy, I'd like to now just kind of learn more about your journey and, and particularly how your faith has played such a role in your leadership over the years. As you look back over your career and you know your companies and the things that you've done, what would you say is the hardest decision you've ever had to make in business, and what role did your faith play in that decision? I've made a lot of mistakes in business, and I think all those mistakes that I've made have all brought me closer to the Lord, and it's also deeply humbled me. I, I think one of the toughest decisions I, I've made in my career is um, the organization that changed my life up with people. I can't I can't say enough amazing things about this this nonprofit organization. I spent nearly 20 years on and off with them, and it really taught me how to be a really a global leader. And to be a 17 year old kid that never had a passport, uh, to travel to 83 countries, live in Europe for a couple of years, live in Japan for a couple of years, live in Australia for a couple of years, become the CEO of this organ this worldwide organization at the age of 35 years old, it truly humbling. But when I got into the business and I started running up with people, I, I realized that there were some critics in the organization that didn't like the way I was running the organization. And I thought I was the only leader in the world that had critics. <laughs> <laughs> and what I realized is anytime you lead an organization, you're always going to have 10% of people that are their critics. Yeah. And I was too immature back then, Ray, to understand that, that I had 90% of the people that were running with me that wanted to relaunch up a people in the 21st century and take this incredible worldwide organization from the last 50 years to the next 50 years and launched incredible vision. Well, there's 10% of people that just want you fired, want your head on the block, and mm-hmm. you're running in a huge organization worldwide and lots of critics. And what I realized is, um, you know, now is that there's critics everywhere. I call them the critics and crazies, like 10% of the world. It's just... The critics and crazies, like 10% of the people in the world believe that the Holocaust never happened, that Hitler never killed all those Jews. I mean, I mean, there's actually 10% of people, and Jack Welsh, chairman of General Electric for years, knew this, and he was the first CEO to really be outspoken, saying, we, knew I, we need to identify these 10% of people in organizations, and we need to, we need to uh, fire them. We, we need to ask them gently to leave our organization, and we need to focus on the 90%. And that was a huge mistake I, I made as a, as a CEO of a worldwide multinational nonprofit is I focused too much, Ray, on the negative, too much of the 10% trying to please them. And then I lost my way with the 90% that I was, that were really excited about following me. We have to listen to our critics and learn from them, 
but then we have to be also put them at bay and run with the 90% that really love us and want to, want to, want to change the world with us. That was probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make is to figure out how to separate the 10% from the 90%. And ultimately, I lost that battle. Yeah. That the 10% won, and I resigned and got pushed out. And if I had led that organization today, I would have led it a whole different way than I did 15 years ago. Well, that is a powerful principle. And I want to, just while we're there, I want to park for just a second, Tommy, because in today's world of social media, and everybody has a voice, and everybody has an opportunity to be a loud voice, we see companies doing this all the time. They, they get a little bit of criticism, and they knee-jerk reaction and go way away from maybe some of their principles or foundations. So let's just for a moment pretend that somebody who's listening to our program right now, they're a, a CEO, they're a business owner, what have you, and they've been going down a certain course, and, and they, they've been pretty confident that they're following God's prompting, God's leading for their company and their direction, but yet there's some voices chirping right now. There's a small minority of, you know, maybe they're getting some criticism on social media, or maybe they're getting phone calls and emails, or maybe even inside their company, they've got a small little remnant who are complaining. What encouragement or advice would you have, based on what you've just shared with us, about what you've learned, what would you say to them? Well, stay true to your values. Those that really stay firm in belief in who you are will pay off in spades. It makes me think of a great story from Bob Rowling, who would be a great person to have on your show. He's the owner of Omni Hotels and owns all the Gold's Gyms and Bob's Eight Houses, and he's, a, he's one of the billionaires in our, in our country. Incredible entrepreneur, amazing follower of Christ. I've gotten to know him quite well and spoke to his organization a couple times, and you know, years ago, he was highly criticized in his company and throughout the industry of the hotel business that he was the first person to pull pornography out of his hotel rooms because he, he was, you know, staying at Omni one day and flicking through the channels and was just shocked at how much pornography is so readily available in hotel rooms. And pornography is a multi-billion dollar business in the, in the hotel world. And he was the first one that he pulled them out. I mean, this doesn't exist. And they lost a lot of money. I mean, I'm talking millions and millions of dollars a year mm-hmm. and was, was criticized. Years later, the CEO of CVS, when CVS was really expanding throughout North America, they decided that they're going to be a healthcare company. And at CVS's pharmacy, why are they selling cigarettes? Well, they were making, I'm talking hundreds of millions of dollars a year on cigarettes. And they decided we can't do both. Mm. Let's cut it out. I mean, when you're a leader, you got to make tough decisions to that that reflect your values, and you're going to get criticized sometimes even more than the ten percent. Yeah. But you stay true to your values. I'm sure Cheryl at Popeyes got criticized for spending thirty percent of her time investigating her twelve drug reports. Yes. I mean, who does that? Right. Right. <laughs> but she did, and she stayed true to it. And she grew her stock 400% because she did. Stay true to your values, who you are, and the long run you win. Appreciate that. And so you shared with us this hard decision that you you know went through and, and the tough time and the critics and so forth. 
So what are some of the biblical principles that today guide you as you work with organizations and companies, you coach CEOs? We're going to talk about your youth initiatives in just a moment, but what are maybe two or three primary biblical principles? You just talked about principles. What are a couple that drive you? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to give you three, but there's really just one. I, I, I just spent my whole life on John 13, 34. So he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I love you. You should love each other. That's the commandment. I mean, if you go through the Bible, that's the biggest commandment that he gives. Love your neighbor, mm-hmm. love your enemies. Love, love. And we as Christians, we as humans fail at this. And we just forget that love is not just for our wives and our husbands and our children and the people that are easy to love, but love is also for the people that are hard to love. And love also belongs mm-hmm. in the workplace. I mean, your whole podcast is faith and life and business and leadership. And for 200 years, we were brainwashed. Bring your head to work and leave your heart home. Yeah. And I think the greatest leaders in the world now that are bringing their hearts to work, bringing love to work and having that, that biblical philosophy that we're called to truly love our customers, our employees, our investors, our clients. We really deeply are called to love and serve them. And I believe love does have a place in in the workplace. And I believe we never have to say the word love. I just Mm. love when I I heard this years ago, Jimmy Blanchard taught this to me because he ran a multi-billion dollar bank, one of the largest banks in the world. And he did it like leading by Jesus, like like Dan Cathy does at Chick-fil-A. I said, well, do you, do you talk about Jesus? How, how do you lead an organization? How do you lead like Jesus? But you, you really can't talk about it as much and openly because of a public company. How do you do it? And he said, you know, we should share the words. Just use words when necessary. You've heard that, Ray, mm-hmm. before. It's different way of saying sure. that. You know, spread the word of Jesus Christ and, and use words when necessary. And that, that just changed my life. That called me to want to act like Jesus, lead like Jesus, love yeah. like Jesus, not talk about Jesus. And the great servant leaders in the world, you know they're Christian, not by, by, by them telling you on their resume. You know they're Christian by the way they yeah. act. And so, Tommy, in this regard, because I talk in the marketplace with both believers and non-believers, and I've actually you know heard Christian business owners tell me, They've been criticized when they've had to let go an underperforming employee, for example. And they've been told, well, well, aren't you a Christian? How can you do something so mean and so cruel? So talk to us a little bit about this, I don't even know if I'd call it a fine line, but, but this tension point, because sometimes to love someone means to make difficult decisions. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? I'm chuckling because Jesus was no pushover. That's right. He was firm. He had boundaries. He demanded excellence. And I just think that servant leadership has just got thrown under the bus for so many years. It's soft. And, yeah. But let me tell you, I can, we can go back to Cheryl at, at Popeye's. You know Cheryl. You've met her. Yes. She's nice. She's warm. She's a great, warm, genuine Christian person. Ray, she'd eat you and I for lunch. She's tough as nails. <laughs> I know her well. She is tough as nails. She demands excellence. There's nothing touchy-feely soft about her at all. Yeah. One of the top five greatest servant leaders in our country, and she's tough. 
servant leadership does not need to be soft. When you truly love someone and they're in the wrong role of a company and they're struggling and they're, and they're floundering, if you truly love them, you, you want to find the way to exit them out of your organization. And you got to make tough decisions to do, to do so. So when you hear those people that are criticized, people saying, I thought you were a Christian. Yeah, Christians got to make tough decisions. Well, I'm writing this down, so I'm, I'm listening, you know, just when you truly love someone, you may have to make a really tough decision. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because sometimes we fail to recognize that truth as those who are making those decisions. Like, ah, you know, they've got a mortgage, and they've got issues, and, you know, and I, we're not serving them. We're not serving them if we're allowing them to continue in that role, right? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, Tommy, gosh, I feel like we go on days of this because this is such fun stuff, but it's important stuff. I do want to ask you about something that God has really placed in your heart. I alluded to it earlier. You have a real passion for the next generation of leaders. In fact, you've launched an amazing National Leadership Academy. You've got a Global Youth Leadership Academy. Would you take just a couple of moments? Why is this so important to you, building next-gen leaders? What are you doing in these academies? What's happening with all of that? I'm, I'm fired up to hear about this. Sure. And you know, Ray, we're so blessed that this is our 20th year, our anniversary this year. Congratulations. Of our National Leadership Academy and Global Youth Leadership Academy. And it was really born of a place where I really wanted to teach high school kids the four most important words of, of leadership which is, it's not about you. Yeah. Most high school kids, they go through life thinking it's all about them. And if you can get a high school kid, 15-year-old kid, to understand that the world is not about them, it's about serving others, you've just changed their life. You know, up with people, that really changed my life. I really struggled at school. I didn't get self-confidence in the classroom. I got it outside the classroom. I got it in the Boy Scouts. I got it in student government, being class president. I got to become an Eagle Scout. And so I just had this dream that, of bringing all types of kids. And by the way, even though I'm a Christian, the National Leadership Academy, we have Jews, Muslims, we have all types of kids in our program. Yeah. Because I truly believe that we have to teach kids to love and serve all mm -hmm, people. Mm -hmm. And so we bring high school kids from all over the country together, and we bring them together for five days. And it's a pretty intense five-day academy teaching kids about servant leadership. They do community service, they're speakers, they do team building, and it's an incredible experience, really mentoring a few hundred kids at a time to really learn about what servant leadership is all about. And then we take about 40 kids to, to Europe every summer and really diving deep into, into servant leadership. And what I'm really trying to teach these high school kids, why I'm so passionate about it, Ray, is that I believe the breakdown of corporate America, the breakdown of leadership in any area, any, any sector, is when a leader doesn't truly have self-confidence in who they are. Yeah. First of all, who, who you are in Christ. But every issue in your entire life, personal and professionally, happens when one of the two people doesn't truly love themselves. But I don't believe you can truly love and serve other people until you truly love and serve yourself. Mm. And most people, most leaders, don't have self-confidence. And when you don't have self-confidence, you can't put others first. You have to be a self-serving leader because you have to put your own needs first because you're insecure. The greatest servant leaders I know truly love themselves because they know who they are in Christ. And so I try to teach high school kids to know who you are and to truly love who you are, whether you're white, black, rich, poor, it's in your face, overweight, underweight. 
whoever you are, that you're special. God made you who you are. And when you could teach them how to love themselves, then you could teach them how to love other people. And that's what's missing in our education system is we're not we're teaching math and science and history, but we're not teaching high school kids to truly love themselves. Mm. It's a tough thing. Yeah. And I just believe so strongly into teaching these kids to to believe in who they are and have a purpose. And then once you do that, then you can change the world by teaching them how to love others. You can't teach them how to love others to the so they really love themselves. Yeah, Jesus told us, you know, to love others as we love ourselves, right? And that's yeah. got to be there. So, Tommy, if someone's listening to this and they're saying, hey, how do I get more information? Is that something they can learn about, the National Leadership Academy, Global Youth Leadership yeah. Academy? How, how oh, would yeah. that happen? It's uh, nationalleadershipacademy.org yeah. and globalyouthleadershipacademy.com. Our academies are in June here in Denver, and then we're taking kids to Switzerland this July, and there's still room for both programs if they want to sign up. Okay. I'm going to go there today. NationalLeadershipAcademy.org, yeah. GlobalYouthLeadershipAcademy.com. Yeah. And Ray, you know what's ironic and funny, it's just more ironic than funny, is now that I coach, I coach Fortune 500 CEOs and speak to organizations on leadership, the same issues I'm teaching high school kids, I'm teaching Fortune 500 CEOs. <laughs> Most of the CEOs that are having problems with serving leadership, they didn't learn in high school how to love themselves. Yeah. And they don't love themselves. They don't know who they are in Christ. They're not centered. Yes. So they're self-serving. And their employees don't, don't love them, respect them. Their clients aren't, aren't, aren't giving them their business because they see that they're self-serving. And so the same issues I'm teaching high school kids are the same issues I'm teaching corporate America. You've got to love yourself before you love others. Yeah. I remember years ago, I remember hearing Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, say before he passed, he said that if you properly build boys, you don't have to mend men. Yeah, I love that. He wrote a book on that. What a great yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Well, well, Tommy, you touched on earlier about this experience you had back 25 years ago when you you know resigned from the organization you were leading, you loved, and so forth. But if you could go back and give advice to the 20-year-old Tommy Spaulding, what advice would you give to the 20-year-old you? Be careful of fear. Fear is, is a liar, and we're going to have lots of it in our lifetime. You know, I, I've been so blessed. I've written two best-selling books and been honored to be on the speaking circuit for 11 years. But I got so much fear that my third book won't be a number one bestseller, mm. that no company won't want to have me speak again. And so about five years ago, I started thinking, wow, how long is this, you know, this incredible ride going to happen, writing these best-selling books and speaking all over the world? One day, I'm sure it's going to end because fear is getting in my head. Maybe I should do something different. And so I spoke to Jersey Mike's National Conference, and I fell in love with those guys, incredible sub-sandwich. And I said, maybe I should open some Jersey Mike sandwich shops in Denver and <laughs> yeah. keep that as a side business just in case my speaking business slips, you know, just in case my, my books don't do as well. Well, I don't know anything about sub sandwiches and my heart wasn't in it and I don't know anything about the franchise business and I half hardly did it and guess what happened? I lost a half a million dollars in two years on one mm. restaurant. Mm. And it was a nightmare. And I looked back and said, Why did I get it at Jersey Mike's? I mean, it's a great sandwich, it's a great company, great people. But I, I got into it because I I was afraid. Wow. I had fear because I was afraid that my, my day job might end one day. 
and I made a re- reaction to it. And I think we all make those decisions in our lives sometimes where we let fear in our in our hearts and we make bad decisions because we're afraid to follow the right one. Wow. That's the advice I would give my 20-year-old self. When fear comes in our lives, run towards it, not away from it. Yes, and I'm reminded of that scripture that says, perfect love casts out all fear. And another verse that says, for God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Fear, and I wrote this down, you said, it's a liar. And uh, hopefully someone is heeding that advice today as they're listening to our conversation. One more time, Tommy Spalding, best place, best address, website, email. What's the best way for our listeners to get in contact with you, my friend? Yeah, uh, email is Tommy at TommySpalding.com. That's the email. The website is TommySpalding.com. TommySpalding.com. S-P-A-U-L-D-I-N-G. TommySpalding.com. Well, Tommy, I've got one really big last question for you, my friend. And regular listeners here at Bottom Line Faith know that this is always the last question that I ask, and it's called my 423 question. It's based out of Proverbs 423, where Solomon writes these words. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. And so, Tommy, I would just like you to imagine for a moment you're towards the tail end of your time, this side of eternity, you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, your most precious associates on the face of the planet Earth, and you have enough breath left in your lungs to pass along one final piece of advice or counsel. Would you just pass that piece of advice along to our audience today? Fill in the blank for us, my friend. Above all else... Hmm. Love. <laughs> That's it. Love. My... uh my grandfather, when he died, we actually on a deathbed, and he actually said those words. And he said, um, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Mm-hmm. Those were his last words. And I decided to, just to live his last words, is not to spend a life of just telling people you love them, but spend a life showing people you love them through your actions every day. Beautiful, beautiful. Tommy Spaulding. President, founder, Tommy Spalding Companies, you have been an incredible encouragement today. As I said on the opening of the show, I have been looking forward to this conversation. My friend, you did not disappoint. You have blessed me and our audience. You've encouraged us. You've really reminded us of the importance of being a heart-led leader. I just can't thank you enough for being a guest on today's program. Thank you, Ray. My honor. Well, folks, another amazing conversation here at Bottom Line Faith. Tommy really walked us through today what it means, what it looks like to be that servant leader, to wake up each day, as he described, first and foremost, spending time with the Lord, allowing the Lord to speak to us, and asking Him, Lord, who can I serve today? Who can I love today? How that's manifested is not just by our words, but by our actions. I want to thank you for listening today, and the number one thing that you can do for the program here is pray that God would continue to bless and anoint our efforts here at Bottom Line Faith. The second best and most important thing you can do is go online, give a review to this conversation, and pass it along. Let your friends know about it. Let your family, your business associates, your employees and coworkers hear this amazing conversation that we've had today. Until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert at Bottom Line Faith, encouraging you to live out your faith 
every day in the marketplace. God bless. We'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.